A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to a Big Squid presentation of our science fiction segment, Space Podacy. My name is Justin Hamilton, and today Ben Elwood and I are discussing the 2002 remake of Solaris. It's our first Space Policy episode for Season 6. It's one of your favourite segments. It's one of my favourite segments. And uh, I think it's one of your favourites. I get a lot of emails after every episode. So that suggests to me that it is one of your favourites. Anyway, it's our first one for Season 6. And we welcome Ben Elwood back for the first time this season as well. So it's a double win for you. Space Policy and Ben Elwood. What a mix. What a heady mix. Uh, I won't go into it too much now, but I liked this movie a lot when it first came out. I saw it at the cinema, but like a fine wine, it has aged beautifully. And now it feels like uh, possibly uh, a lost or maybe uh, at least an underappreciated classic. And yeah, like this was my favorite viewing of this film. And I feel like I've caught up to it. So anyway... I'm looking forward to you listening to this podcast, but I'm also interested to know what you think of this film as well. So uh, if you're a Patreon supporter, you can write to me there, or if you're just on the private Facebook page, that's always a good place to write to me. And if you're not on either of those, just head to the uh, open Facebook page as well and drop me your thoughts. I'm, I'm keen to know what you think of this film. Uh, Two quick things though before we launch into the podcast I have a solo show coming up in Sydney and Melbourne That's right, and Melbourne And it is my first solo show in either city for a long time Like a really long time I think... uh I don't think I've performed in Melbourne since 2019 And uh, like I've been doing gigs in Sydney But I don't think I've done a solo show in Sydney since maybe... 
2018? Like, it's been a while. So, this new show is called Little Victories. It'll be performed at the Sydney Comedy Store on the 28th of October and Comedy Republic in Melbourne on the 26th of November. So, I would love to see you there. Uh, I would love to know that uh, people still want to see me perform live. That would be good. Please please don't think you'll catch me next time. Um, uh, <laughs> I haven't been around for a while, so I need to know that you're still out there. I'm needy. I need an audience. Well, every comedy show needs an audience, but I'm just more uh, comfortable in letting you know that it really does help me to have an audience. But anyway, uh, for more details, head to bigsquidpod.com. And if you go to the blog page, uh, there is a whole section where you will find uh, ticket options for both cities and maybe uh, even a little bit of insight into how this show came about. So there you have that. But it honestly would be fantastic to see you. Feel free to bring friends as well. That would be nice. I would be really, really grateful. Anyway, I should stop being so needy. If Adam Richard was here, he'd be furious. <laughs> uh, long-time listeners of the podcast will also know that my Patreon subscribers have an episode dedicated to them. And today's shout-out goes to Salicia. Salicia, uh, thank you so much for being a part of the Big Squid community. I hope you enjoy today's chat. And uh, if you haven't seen Solaris before, maybe this might be an introduction to an underrated film that deserves more props. Anyway, thanks for your support, Salicia, and it is very much appreciated from me and everyone that I work with. Uh, if you'd like an episode dedicated to you and have access to bonus podcasts, works in progress, scripts and discounted tickets to live events, head to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton underscore Big Squid, and you will find a tier that suits you. That actually does remind me, uh, as Big Squid listeners, you do get money off my solo shows. So if uh, you go in to buy those tickets, make sure you use the promo code podcast, and that will get you a cheaper ticket. And Patreon subscribers, head to the Patreon page, and you will find the super duper uh, discount that is just for you. So lots of uh, opportunities to save a bit of coin there on live stuff. All right. It is now time to join psychologist Chris Kelvin as he is sent to an isolated research station that orbits a strange new world. The crew have gone missing and Kelvin must discover why they have ceased their contact back to Earth. But once he arrives, his troubled past begins to manifest as he attempts to unravel the mystery of the planet known as Solaris. Can I help you? We're looking for Dr. Chris Kelvin. We've received no contact from the Solaris expedition for six months. Why not send in the security force? We did. We feel confident that if you can manage to board the ship... You can negotiate their safe return. Can you tell me what's happening here? I could tell you what's happening. But I don't know if they'd really tell you what's happening. That's not my son. My son is on Earth. And that's not your wife. Where did you come from? The apart of Sonaris. From Academy Award winners James Cameron and Steven Soderbergh. How long do you think you can go without sleep? Whatever you desire. You're being manipulated. Whatever you fear. Don't leave me. Don't, Don't leave me. It's not human and I'm threatened by that. 
whatever you think she's alive becomes real for all we know it's driving us crazy so we can watch us kill each other what does solaris want from us if you keep thinking there's a solution you'll die here what if what's happening here started happening on earth george clooney I'm just going to start off with this question before we even really get into the movie. But <laughs> is Solaris interstellar without big action pieces? <laughs> yeah. And, with, and without a pipe organ giving you a fucking anxiety hemorrhage. No, it never gave me an anxiety <laughs> hemorrhage. It gave me a, uh, a panic erection, but uh, no anxiety. But no, it, it's, so I hadn't watched the film in a while. Yeah. And... I enjoyed it when it first came out. I thought mm. it was really good. Mm. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about how it went at the box office, etc. Mm. But kind of watching it now, Mike, it feels a little bit ahead of the curve. It's like, mm. so maybe maybe you would say that Gravity is the uh, start of the new wave of philosophical science fiction that continues with movies like Interstellar, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Arrival, Ad mm. Astra, etc. And, you know, this viewing of the film was actually my favourite because it feels yeah, like... Right. It, 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 it feels relevant. It feels brand new. It feels like it's a part of the Z guys. But it came out in... Uh, 2002 yeah. and it's like I think this was just a little bit ahead of the curve actually yeah absolutely and I think it's doing that thing that so much of the stuff that came after it did uh, where you know it's not really about space right. it's not really about you know zooming around some weird nebula you yeah. know it's, it's very it's that that very like exploration is of a very nuanced human condition yeah with the kind of the sci-fi uh, seasoning on the top yeah um, but it had to be, you know, if it's a if it's a remake or you know a spin of the the original Solaris, it has to get into these uh, very deep philosophical right. issues. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I I kind of feel like maybe uh, once again when we get to the squid bits, we'll talk about the marketing and there was a the marketing really kind of did not get it. And once again, that's what I think is where it's ahead of the curve yeah, is yeah, yeah. because some of that marketing just there's a disconnect. Like if you you look at the old posters and you watch uh, the old trailer, it's like this feels like it's when Harry met Sally in space. How do, so is that how they? How are they marketing it? It's really weird. Yeah, like right. it, like I'm like we're recording this before I put this all together, and you know normally I'll play the trailer beforehand. I'm not sure I'll play the trailer. Like, it's so weird. (laughs) What is it? It's It's just George Clooney had a conundrum in space. I I feel like it's not that far away from that. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, what were you guys doing? You know, they saw him with his bare bum and they all got excited. Oh, of course the bare bum's in the trailer. No, it's not in the trailer. But you just feel like the people in marketing went, oh, George Clooney is naked at some point. This is a romantic movie. Do you reckon they were maybe afraid of the... um the 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 uh, the depth of the of the themes of it all. I mean, yeah. I, I think uh, uh, you look at the. Um, uh, it's a very different film, but it's similar in kind of its uh, human depth. You, you look at the trailer for the Fountain. 
Yes. And that is an abysmal trailer. Yes. That really fucks it up as well. Yes. He loved her over three time periods. Like, like, no, what? it's not. What? But that, I mean, it was yeah. clearly a marketing team that didn't know how to yeah. market the market a very heady kind of cerebral emotional film. Yeah. So, you know, like I've, uh, you know, our first question normally is, you know, when did you first see this movie? Mm. I saw this in Adelaide. I think I may have been at a fringe festival or something. And I went with uh, my old pal, Terry Siakas. And I think we may have been like, two of four people in, of in the cinema and we, we came I remember walking out of it and both of us just like that's not what we expected mm. and it was because we'd obviously seen the trailer beforehand and then you get this very heady yeah, yeah, philosophical yeah. Uh, tale that has some really horrifying moments in it horrifying and it's did you when you walked out of it it was 2011 right no 2002 Holy shit. Okay, yeah, so when yeah. you walk... Whoa! Yeah, that's what I mean about it being whoa. ahead of the curve. Yeah, okay, sorry. Like I, was really... li- I was living in 2011 land. That's no, I- wow. no, no. Okay, yeah, yeah, And yeah. so that's what I mean. It's like, you know, you watch it wow. and you go, okay, if you if you throw in a couple of big set pieces, like, it, it's got a Dylan Thomas poem, like Interstellar as well. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> you know. Wow. No, you're 100... Because when, when you said it's ahead of its curve, I was like, yeah, I guess yeah. so. But now that you... 2002, holy shit. So, you know... Uh, so, so hang on, before we go, when did you first see it? Only a few years a ago. A few years ago, yeah. At home. Yeah. I, yeah. Think I, I think I even borrowed it off you. I think you did too, yeah. 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 So, so, the segment Google Me Chuck, the top four responses when you uh, Google Solaris. Is Solaris good, 2002? <laughs> what was the point of Solaris? Is Solaris a good movie? What does the ending of Solaris mean? People are fucking confused about this film, right? Uh, but uh, the segment First Context, where we named the sci-fi movies that came out before and after, 1996, Independence Day, 1997, Starship Troopers, yeah. 1998, The Truman Show, 1999, The Matrix, 2000, Mission to Mars, 2001, Donnie Darko, 2003, you get movies like uh, the second X-Men film and mm. Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, oh, yeah, yeah. 2004, iRobot. Like, it's, you know, this is Clooney and Soderbergh really kicking goals and, and they've decided to make this film. And I, I think the mainstream yeah. audience were just like, w- w- what's happening? I wonder if it's ahead of its time or if it's kind of the capper on some more cerebral sci-fi that came before it kind of maybe maybe the the pinnacle of just before this real kind of decline for a good decade into remakes and superheroes and just over the top cgi because i think around that time 2004 was when that awful um uh keanu reeves uh what was it the 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 remake of the 50s film uh the day the earth the day the earth should still that that was around that time that those kind of like heavy CG, grey-blue movies started coming yeah. out. So, yeah, maybe it was the kind of pinnacle of of um, something that was being built towards that then dropped off and came back 10 years later. Yeah, well, I, you know, because it's a remake of the Russian film, which mm. is, have you seen the Russian yeah. version? Yeah, and I, I really like the Russian version. It's very different. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I don't know, there's something, it, it honestly feels like if you drop this, in in between Interstellar and The Martian. Totally. It's like it makes total sense. Absolutely. Total sense as, yeah, a, yeah, as yeah. a film. And I reckon they'd know how to market it properly yeah. and it would be much better. Uh, the year that it came out, 
you had the sci-fi movies were 28 Days Later, mm-hmm. uh, Minority Report, Men mm-hmm. in Black 3, Simone. What's Simone? That's the one. I'd be curious to go back and watch that now. That's the one where the it's an Al Pacino movie and it didn't do very well, but it's, he's a director and the uh, the actress pulls out, so he makes an electronic one, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. an AI version, and and is not letting people interview her because he's still passing her off as real and it's <laughs> and Winona Ryder I think plays a bit of an arsehole in it and it's there's one of those things where you go I'm fully prepared that I could watch it and go no this isn't good but I also wonder if it's a little bit prescient hidden gem maybe uh, maybe even if it doesn't work it might still be prescient yeah. but then you've got really mainstream movies this year like Spider-Man Star Wars Episode 2 Attack of the Clones and Star Trek Nemesis wow sorry I'm still mind blown that it came out in 2002 yeah, I know. That's I, fucking crazy. And I, I even think the special effects yeah. are way better than <laughs> yeah than people were probably prepared for. The way it's shot, I, everything. It doesn't feel like a very early 2000s movie oh, at yeah. all. And, you know, for uh, an interesting thing about the film is it looks a million bucks, right? Mm. Like, I think it looks absolutely great. But mm. I'm just looking this up to check that I'm right. The... Budget for the film was forty-seven million. Is that is, what, what's that in two thousand and two money though? Well, like mid-range movie. You know, it's 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 kind of expensive yeah, yeah, yeah. for what it is. Yeah, but I reckon it looks. Oh, it looks incredible! Great. And that yeah. beautiful set, yeah. you know, that, that's really brought to the fore when he's chasing the uh, mirage of the little kid around. Yes, and you really get the idea of like, wow, this is an actual spaceship. So yeah, it's brilliant. yeah, 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 beautiful. I think uh, the other film that I'd be curious to go back to uh, is Sunshine, and that came out in two thousand seven. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like that's really quite good up until a, a, a story choice right at the end where you're going. Hang on, did this just become a completely different film? Yeah, I'm not usually one of those people that goes, oh, the last 10 minutes kind of fuck up the whole movie. But in that case, it really mm. I, it really prevents me from ever wanting to go back and revisit that movie. Yeah, yeah. And I remember It's a bold in- swing, but it doesn't. It's not good. No, I feel the same way. Um, it's interesting to see uh, Clone, uh, Clooney and Soderbergh take a swing here at uh, Russian Classic uh, to give you an idea of where George Clooney is. So you, remember he's in ER yeah. and like... ER is every week 30 to 35 million people Crazy. are watching that every episode yeah. 22 24 episodes a season yeah, that's yeah, and yeah, he yeah. and he uh he signs a 5 year contract and he's the only star who doesn't renegotiate he stays at the same price because his deal is I signed a 5 year contract I'm going to stick by my word and then and then I'm done wow so so everyone else renegotiated which they're quite you know, they're allowed yeah, to do. Yeah. And then he, uh, you know, he starts making little uh, forays into movie world and uh, some successful, some not so successful. But around 1998, he does Out of Sight, which mm-hmm. is, I rewatched that a couple of weeks ago mm. and I was like, this is still one of the fucking coolest films ever made. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just cool. Him and Cameron Diaz, right? No, no, no. Jennifer Lopez. Oh, Jennifer Lopez, sorry. And she is fucking <laughs> out of control. Like, yeah. I I saw that film and I was like, like, even now when I'm not a fan of her movies yeah. or her music, I fucking love her with all my heart. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? She's my yeah, guilty of secret yeah. off, off the back of this film. Great. And because it also has those great little cameos of Michael Keaton and uh, Samuel L. Jackson from Jackie Brown. 
Oh, they're playing the same characters. Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. Awesome. So, um, <laughs> it's still it's still super cool. The sex scene is fucking hot, <laughs> and it's funny. He is hot. Yeah, like this shot of him. The shot of him in the shower in this movie. Holy shit! It was holy shit. It was like a drawing of the ideal Bruce Wayne. Yes. After a night of crime fighting. Yes. Yes. Well, that's the irony. Like yeah. you know, he just he just got. The worst Batman film. But that was the thing. As I was watching it, I was like, wow, he'd be such a great Bruce Wayne. And then it suddenly occurred to me, wait a second, he fucking was. Yeah. And he was the worst Bruce Wayne. <laughs> yeah. But he got the worst film. Of course. Uh, you know, there's, yeah. there's only so much he can do. Because when the Bat credit card. <laughs> well, when he signed up for it, he thought he was, um, he he was under the impression they were kind of making, uh, it was kind of sold to him as a Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, right. And then, you know, really early on, he turned around to Chris O'Donnell and Alicia Silverstone and said, this movie is not much, so we're going to have to have fun. Of you know. But um, but he makes Out of Sight in 98. He makes Three Kings in 99. Great movie. Um, and then... Uh, I've made a mistake here. Uh, Batman was 97. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a while back. And, um, you know, like it was a... You know, I, I've told this story so many times, but uh, as as I said when I met him, the um, the uh, the thing about uh, Batman is it put him in a position where he could meet um, he could meet Soderbergh and that they could make Out of Sight, and Out of Sight is, as I said, just a just a great film. But anyway, in uh, two thousand one, he makes uh, Ocean's Eleven, mm-hmm. which is super cool mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So they're they're on a roll, and yep. then. Uh, and then they make this, you know, and this is, and then they said at the time, mm. while you've got the keys to the kingdom, you've got to try and make as much as you can. You've got to take swings and you've got to try and make quality yep. films. Yep. And you and they produce a lot of films, uh, a lot of small level 35, 40 million dollar movies that don't normally get made yeah. to just try and make quality. Yeah, I think they do a really, really good job with this. And I, as I said, re-watching this film, mm. I was like... I, I remember enjoying it, and mm. I obviously own a copy of it, but this is the most I've enjoyed it because I feel like everything I've learned through doing this segment yep. and re-engaging with sci-fi in a different way uh, allowed me to enjoy this and appreciate it even more. Yeah, it was um, it was definitely... Uh, I think I was kind of indifferent to it the first time I saw it. Yeah. And then this time, about 20 minutes in, I felt, you know, when you get the, the hairs on the back of your neck, like, mm. oh, this is good. This is really good. <laughs> it's really good. I've, look, anyway, I kind of enjoy it more than the, the Russian one. And I know the Russian one is I just think I just think they're very different experiences. Because yes. I, well, I, I, what I mean is I enjoy the experience of this film. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I only saw the Russian one this year for the oh, first yeah, time. Oh, yeah, right. And it's great. It's great, but it was it felt like homework. Yes. And it was probably, you know, I just watched Stalker on your recommendation and oh, I loved yeah. every second of that. Ooh. So good. Yeah. And so I think three days later, I was like, I'm going to do Solaris. <laughs> yeah. And like 20 minutes in, I was like, oh, I'm not in that space. Like yeah. that, that Tarkovsky kind of like surrender to the meditative yeah. slow burn of it. So yeah. I do want to go back to it. Yeah. So... But yeah, I think you're right. I think I enjoyed the experience of this Solaris a bit better. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just thought it was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so the movie opens on Clooney's character, uh, who is a clinical psychologist, Dr. Chris Kelvin, mm. who is living what appears to be a normal work life, albeit one that is lonely. And it's a 
pretty low-key start to the film, mm. isn't it? And I, I have to say, one of my favourite things are in, a, in a good sci-fi film is, you know when it feels slightly like the future? Mm-hmm. Not too far in the future, yep. just slightly like the future. Yep. And it feels relatable, you know? Like, you can see that there's been some advancements, but there's not too many advancements. Yeah, the collar is a little higher. Yes. There's some angles on the steps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. It's just enough to yeah. keep you a little bit off balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the there's kind of a low, a low hum in the audio, which yeah. kind of adds to the claustrophobia. The unremarkableness of the future. Yes. I think that's what's really, you know, the, the best sci-fis do that so well. Yeah. You know, where it's like, it's not really commenting on itself. It's that kind of the gradual creep of technology and, yeah. and advancements. And, and, you know, it's just integrated in where no one really notices anymore, which is exactly yeah. true to reality. Yes. You know, we all carry supercomputers in our pockets and no yeah. one seems to care. Yeah. Yeah, and we just, you know, it's always my favourite thing when you hear people just say, oh, there's science fiction. It's just so, I don't know, it's just so crazy and I just don't like it. It's like you live in a science fiction world. Of course. Of like, course. You, you, know, you know worrying about climate change. You know what that is? That's sci-fi. Totally. Totally. There's Philip K. Dick books. Uh, I, can't, I think it's Ubeck yep. where he talks about a... Uh, the heat wave, uh, so it basically no one can go outside anymore. Everyone just right. lives in these interconnected yes. apartment blocks. Yes. And there's kind of sky bridges between each yeah. block because you can't go outside anymore. And then one day the uh, the air conditioning turns off for three minutes. Yes. And in the space of three minutes, everyone's vinyls melt and all their parrots die yeah. <laughs> because of the intensity of the heat outside. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, we're not that far off, guys. Right. I remember reading that <laughs> and instead of thinking, wow, that's a crazy future, I was thinking, I wonder how quickly we can implement that. Um. The the colours at the start of this film are mm. beautiful. It's a beautiful film. It's very actually. pretty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kelvin is visited by emissaries from DBA, a corporation operating a space station that orbits the planet Solaris. It is from a scientist friend, Dr. Shubarian, who requests Kelvin comes to the space station to help understand a strange phenomenon occurring there. DBA is confused because none of the astronauts want to return home and they have lost contact with the security patrol sent to the station. Kelvin decides to go and when he arrives he finds the base covered in bloodstains. Dr. Jaberian has committed suicide and the two survivors reluctant to explain what has happened. The reason I read all of that out and I normally wouldn't do all of that is mm. because do you off the top of your head know how long that took in the movie? I was about to say this is the biggest uh, disparity between this version and the original. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I think we're in space, what, less than 10 minutes? Mate. Everything I just read to you, 16 minutes. 16 minutes. And he's, we're in space 16 minutes into the film? Well, we're already seeing, like, the, the what's-his-name's committed suicide and, uh, you know, the Fucking other Fucking hell, survivors. 16 minutes into the uh, original. I think we're still in the uh, house watching the video of the guy saying... Mate, he's still putting on Solaris. his shoes. <laughs> like, it's, it's crazy, right? There's that sequence in the original Solaris where they drive. Yeah, I think it's like four minutes. Yeah, where it's just looking out a window for four minutes. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, again, it's Tarkovsky. It's that whole. It, what's, yeah, what does he say? Sculpting in time. Yes, where you surrender to this is we yes. are observing. The and moment. I do love that. I love uh, it as well. But, but I, I, I cracked up when he was in space in this yeah. one. I was like, oh my god. Yeah, fuck. It's like real economy of form. Yeah, let's just get <laughs> let's get to it. But it's but also like so much happens. Yeah, like it's masterful storytelling. It it's yeah. just like bam, 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 bam. Moves along at a rapid rate and, you know, because it's somehow a little bit languid as well. Yeah. Like it's not, it doesn't feel like I was, I, I was shocked. That's why I wrote that yeah, yeah, note yeah. down as I was looking. I was like, 
God, how long have we... 16 minutes? <laughs> no, there's an incredible... It's incredible how you can play with time where if you just don't rush, yep. and you kind of... There's this wonderful animation that I've been watching at the moment called Primal. Okay. It's one of the best things I've ever seen. It's by this master animator, Jendi Tarkovsky. Yeah. His probably most famous thing was uh, a show called Samurai Jack. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, and this is... It's set in caveman times. Well, it, it's a hybrid of dinosaur and caveman times. It's this, it's this caveman who loses his entire family and he becomes best friends with a Tyrannosaurus Rex that has lost her babies. Right. And it's like wild kind of... But the pacing of it... for yeah. each, each episode is basically follows the formula of it's 20 minutes and for the first 10 minutes... Virtually nothing happens. It'll yeah. just be them walking through a field. Yeah. Maybe hunting a boar. Yeah. And at the 10 minute mark, some creature, a, a woolly mammoth or a giant bat or something will come out. And the next 10 minutes is the most insane carnage yeah. you've ever seen in your life. Right. And every episode I watch, by the time the carnage has kicked off, you know, logically, it's only been 10 minutes. It feels like hours have passed right right because of just the time that is taken with just the the t-rex sniffing the air they'll yeah. spend like 15 20 seconds it doesn't sound like a lot but when yeah. you add these 15 20 second chunks up yeah of really not much happening it just stretches time so when it does kick off you know yeah. it feels like an assault every time right and it's but and i think this movie does that this, that real master class in you don't need a lot of time to feel like you've spent a lot of time yeah like we've like in everything I read out, I've left out the bits where we we just saw him by himself, just kind of uh, sitting there contemplating with the and, grief meeting and the, and the brief meeting yeah. and and the and talking to some of his uh, uh, patients patients and also we've seen him cut a vegetable and cut his finger. Yeah. Like we and seen- you really get an idea of the maybe not the man like all the nuance, but you understand the overarch. This is a, a man who is lost. Yeah. There's a man who seems racked with grief. Yep. Something's missing. Yep. You know, there's the, a lot is delivered in a really economical, uh, elegant way. Oh, it's, as I said, I feel like I'm going to say after every little section, <laughs> I enjoyed this the most this time, <laughs> but I really enjoyed this the most. Yep. Um, we'll get to the surviving crew members later. I, th- I think they're all pretty interesting, mm. so I want to delve into them properly a little bit uh, further down. But uh, after Kelvin sees a young boy running about the station, he goes to sleep and dreams about his long-dead wife, Raya. In the dream, he remembers how they met and their r- most romantic and intimate moments. And when he wakes, Raya is there. Horrifying. Like... And he reacts appropriately. Yes. Yes. And... You know, there's, um, once again, it takes, when he's having these dreams, and it takes its time explaining the relationship, how it comes to be the first time they see each other on the train. And and it's, for a moment, you're like, is this a romantic movie? Hmm. Like, is this, like, and it's also silent, hmm. to like, not silent as in nothing, but there's no dialogue. It's a lot of looks and... That's, that's the beauty of it. And I, I feel like... I reckon maybe the marketers went, okay, yep, no, nah, we know what this movie is. And then they went and started marketing yeah, of it course. and then went. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it, 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 depicts, uh, it depicts that real kind of like ideal of romance. Yeah. You know, like the, the, the kind of romance that you dream of having, you know, yeah. love at first sight. Yeah. Everything told through looks. And yeah. Have you ever had one of those? Have you ever gotten together with someone from just a look across a room? 
Uh, like so many times, I can't pick one. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really think. Um, I don't really think so. I can't think of anyone uh, off the top of my head. If I do remember one, I'm yeah, more sure. than happy to share it. It's uh, have you? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It was. It was full on. Yeah. Uh, it was my. First proper girlfriend. Okay. Uh, and I was working at the comedy store and she was just there and the show ended. She was in the audience and the show ended and she just left and we just locked eyes from across the room. Yeah, right. And we both just started like going, <laughs> like laughing. We'd never, right. never seen each other in our lives. Right. And she left and I'm, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a fucking player. Like I've never, I'd never... Asked someone out before. I'd right. never approached anyone before anything. But she left and something just came over me and I just kind of ran down out to the front of the comedy store. Right. And I was like, hey. <laughs> and she's like, hey. I was like, well, are you leaving? And she's like, yeah, I'm leaving. I was like, you should stay. And she stayed and we were together for five years. It was oh, like, wow. But it was right. like, That's really? great. But it was like, it was... Something in a, it was a look that was undeniable. Yeah, right. It was crazy. Right. I look. Maybe I've missed all those opportunities because I spend a lot of time in my own head. So if someone's <laughs> looking at me, I'm in my head thinking, "Wonder what Papa Bowie would do if he was still alive? Would he? Would he write to his son?" Anyway, um, that's a very nice story, though. Uh, yeah, but that that was really conveyed in in this uh, depiction of. Of romance, yeah, it was. Uh, it's it's a very it's it, it, it's all done through instinct and feeling yes. rather than uh, explanation, yeah, or, or witty banter or whatever, yeah. Like yep. it's very primal, yeah. And it's the and there's a a nice little moment of coincidence of them being in the same place, yeah. Which know? seems so to which seems to infuse a, a you, fate, yeah. in, into it as well, yeah. Uh, did you notice that when he's a so he's sleeping, dreaming about her, and then, then when he's in the uh, when it cuts back to the space station and he's laying there asleep, when her hand comes up over his neck, it looks like a fucking face hugger. Oh yeah, absolutely. It like looks it's like so a, it looks creepy. Like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like something crawling out of a crypt or something. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a very interesting yeah. choice. Yeah, Soderbergh, you legend. Yeah. Um, and then they're. Immediately, like his response is great, and uh, I think uh, uh, Natasha uh, McElhone, she is so amazing in the role. Uh, the fact that she's playing a manifestation of his memory mm. of how he remembers her, mm. and but also is suddenly aware that she doesn't know how she got there mm. and doesn't know how this has all come about. Mm. Um, it's it's mind blowing, mm. and once again, you're sitting there, you're thinking, "This is full on. How's this going to play out? And how does it play out?" He puts her in a space it's pod so and fun. fucking jettisons her out into space, and it is one of the most haunting scenes yeah. in any of the movies we've watched. No, in, absolutely, it's horrifying. I mean, like it, it's so full on. I had no memory of this film. Uh, from the first time I watched it, apart from that moment. Yes. That moment was seared in. Yeah. Uh, seared in for me too. Awful. Because, you know, it's like, it's metaphorically 
true as well of what you wish you could sometimes do with memories of certain people. Right, yeah. Yeah. Just stuff it in a capsule. Yeah, like, fucking bang. fire it up into a <laughs> strange planet so I don't have to deal with this Leave anymore. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And and I once again I think part of the failure of this film at the box office is that, you know, people that they're going into the see this so called romantic sci-fi movie and there's George Clooney jettisoning a woman into space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's... Yeah. Uh, with no consequence. Right, with no consequence. And also, but, all, you know, if people haven't watched this film and they're thinking, oh, I'll listen to the podcast first to feel like if I want to watch it, you understand why he's done it because... Oh, yeah, it's, he's not... Yeah. He's, he's freaked out. Like, yeah. Because we do learn that she has uh, his real wife, um, you know, at one point discovered that she was pregnant Yep. And decided to abort the baby uh-huh. before uh, telling him that she was pregnant. Uh-huh. They have a fight and he uh-huh. leaves and then she commits suicide uh-huh. and, and he comes back to kind of reconcile uh-huh. and uh, and she's gone. So, to then have this, her there is yeah. like, you, you can't blame him. Well, and it's and and you know he's also been flagged that there's some weird shit going down on this space station. Like, yeah. it's, like she's obviously a, a ghost or an alien or some kind of mirage. Or there, there's something going on. That fight they have, I'm sure we'll get to it. But uh, that let's discuss it now. Fucking hell, man! That fucking moment where she goes, what does she say? I can't do this. I can't do this. She, I can't remember what she says, but his his response is, "Then you'll be ha- you'll have to do it alone." Yeah, you'll have to be on your own, or you yeah. have to like live without me. Yeah, but the savagery with, it, with how he says it, and oh. then what the consequence of that is, yes, is like it's that's one of my worst nightmares. It's why right. I try whenever I have conflict with friends or family to not leave it. Yeah. Stewing. Oh, yeah, Like, yeah. I always like to resolve shit before we part. Yeah. Because I've always had that fear. Of, yes. Of saying something fucking horrific and, you know... Yeah. Coming back and, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I totally get that. I totally get that. Uh, I think that's a really good trait to have, yeah. actually. Yeah. And, um, you know, because she obviously has... Uh, mental health issues, mm. which once again was not a term used back in 2002 mm. uh, and why I think the movie would probably hit harder now. Yeah. But she has mental... We see that she has mental health issues and then when, you know, like... it's it, You see the, uh, an erosion in their relationship in, and we'll talk about some of the conversations that take place. But then when she makes that decision to have the abortion mm. and then... Like everyone's reactions are yeah. understandable, yeah. and it's, no one's wrong. No, it's just yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Um. So you're probably wondering if you haven't watched the movie, why is this happening? It turns out the planet Solaris is manifesting the loved ones of the crew. The little boy is uh, the dead person's Shavarian uh, son, and. Let's discuss the planet. What What are your thoughts on what is happening? Because um, I have a theory. Mm, I don't. I don't know that it's uh, hostile. I don't. No. Think, I don't think it's trying to fuck with people. No. Uh, I totally agree. Maybe it's. Maybe it's a. Maybe it's giving people what they think that they want as a way of confronting. 
that notion. Right. Of like what you think you want isn't necessarily good for you. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, so so this is what I wrote down, right? So there's a scene later in the movie and we were discussing that their kind of relationship is eroding mm, mm. and we see uh, a dinner where there's a debate over whether there is a god or a higher power. Mm. And Kelvin thinks humans are uh, an inevitable probability and that the idea of God was dreamed up by man. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet uh, there are higher powers in the universe, e- even if they're not gods. And I, what I think is Solaris, as this unknowable entity, mm. is connecting to the crew who have suddenly turned up floating around the planet. Mm. And... I completely agree with you. I don't think Solaris is trying to scare them or control them. I think Solaris is trying to understand who they are and in turn understand itself. <laughs> so it taps into memories of loved ones but can only build from the cognizant memories. Yes. And the manifestation of Rhea is smart but also knows that whatever is wrong with her is from Kelvin's memory. Mm. And there's that scene where she looks back at the planet mm. wishing that she could communicate and it's just like religious people looking to the sky and wishing they could communicate with their version of God. Solaris isn't playing God. Solaris is doing what they're all doing, which is trying to understand yeah, itself. Wow. Anyway, that, I'm, I'm not saying that's correct. No, no, no. I think that's I, I think that's probably uh, you know I've often thought that about um, you know if that's what consciousness is, right. if it is just the kind of creative uh, force of the universe trying to understand itself, right. Right, you know, manifesting in not and not even necessarily uh, consciousness in in an evolved sense as as we have, you know, just all manifestations of consciousness. Like, yeah, you know, what is the experience of being a bird? What is the experience of being a tree? You know, and 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 what is the knowledge to be gained from that? Like, how can I understand myself better? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the universe does look like a brain, and we, we just might be a neuron. <laughs> well, I, I really, th- I really think that. Like, you know, I don't, I, I don't think there is a god. Like, yeah. I don't think there's a creative god. Yeah. And I do think that I think that Clooney's right in what he says. In that, yeah. I think the consciousness is a, is an inevitable manifest, an inevitable byproduct of matter and time left to run its course. Yeah. And I think it's all over the place. You know, when you look at those James Webb photos. Yeah, uh, Jesus. Know, like here's here's a photo with a billion dots, and each dot's a galaxy, and yeah. in each galaxy is a billion suns. And yeah. It's like okay, well, we're not it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like I wonder. I, I do wonder that. Or maybe it's all just fucking matter, just collapsing, and nothing means anything. But right. you know, if we're all, if we are all uh, a manifestation of the universe, which is a scientific fact. Yeah. Then you know it, it does stand to it, it does make me wonder if we we are just the universe contemplating itself. Yeah. And that- hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST 
and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's, and that's, I, I love that as an idea, and I love, yeah. and that's why I kind of love the idea of, okay, well, maybe the planet's trying to understand itself because suddenly there's something there that, that's like, what is that? Yeah. And then by trying to understand that, taps in and then this is the byproduct of it. It's almost like it's sending emissaries out. Yeah. You know, like you can't understand me. You can't understand the language of a planet. Yeah. So I will send an emissary that looks and speaks like you yeah, to but, try uh, and communicate. Yeah. <laughs> but what what none of them realized was it's, uh, you know, and here's your dead wife. Yeah. Yeah. That you feel really guilty about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, I do love a good poem in a sci-fi film and uh, and Death Shall Have No Dominion is uh, the Dylan Thomas poem that's in her hand with, uh, which he uh, initially impresses her with. Um, I'd completely forgotten that Viola Davis is in this film. Same, that was a great yeah. moment where she pops out. She's so good as Dr. Gordon who tries to talk Kelvin out of wanting to take... Uh, so uh, he jettisons Raya out in space and then he goes to sleep the next... Like he has an argument with all of them and they're yeah. all like... Well, don't go to sleep again. And then he goes to sleep again and there's a new Raya there. And it's like, Jesus Christ. But then this time he wants to take this one, this version, back to Earth. Yeah. Uh, this Raya, because she's around longer, knows herself, uh, knows that she lacks the emotional attachment that comes with her memories and that yeah. they feel artificial. That's an interesting concept as well. And I wonder if that's going to be uh, something that you know, in the future, the AI and uh, the uploading of supposed consciousness is yeah. going to be, well, yeah, you have all these thoughts and these memories, but you won't have the experience of making them. Yeah, I, I think that I think that there will be profound uh, ethical issues with creating artificial consciousness because of that. You yeah, know? and I mean, you know, I even I even feel a little bit of that with my human consciousness. Right. You know, I think you go through these massive periods of change throughout your life, and there is a conceptual continuity there. Yeah. But you know, there's periods of my life I look back on and I have no like resonance with at all anymore. Yeah. To the point where it's like, I can't even, I, I understand where I was at when I was like that. Right. But I have no affinity for it anymore. And so I, I feel like a, some a certain periods of my life, certain memories from my life, there's, I, I don't, I, I, it's kind of like, did that happen? Like, I know it happened to me, but did it happen to me? Like, yeah. a, a, in terms of who I am now. And you understand that it's all building towards what you are now. Yeah. But I do feel a sense of disconnect from it a little bit. Yeah, well, I think um, I've got to be really careful with that as well because I think that's one of the aspects of my personality that allows me to be able to move on from certain friendships, maybe a little bit too soon, yeah. maybe, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's not necessarily a bad thing, but if I kind of feel like there's nothing new in the memories that are being created with the person now, then it's like, oh. Do you sometimes feel there's an element of coldness in there? Yeah, yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a bit of a cold fish. I'm definitely... I feel that, right? And yeah. I, I, I don't know if that's... I'm like you. I don't know if that's good or bad. Like a, a relationship will end. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily like... It's like, yeah, that's... all. Very few relationships last your whole life. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Things, things just come and go. Yeah. And it's not necessarily a... You know, it's not a tragedy that that's kind of done now. Yeah, I wonder if that's... Uh, 
like do you get to that point because you had enough breakups when you were younger that you just don't want to go through that again so you, mm. there's always just a slight inability to be able to give fully of yourself mm. to someone now uh but you know I feel that way about certain like uh, just mateships as well yeah, like same. people that I really like yeah. but I just have no urge to catch up with and I'm also fine if they have no urge to catch up with me as well. It's like, yeah, that's cool. You just but, have the time you have with people. Yeah, and you know, that time was great. Yeah. And I, this does not contradict that. No, but it, it's, it's a question of growth and evolution. There's nothing sadder than people in their 50s or whatever, whatever yeah. age. But like that are very different from who they were 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, still trying to maintain that persona. Yeah. When it's clearly yeah. like it's dead and gone. Yeah. Yeah, there's... Uh, uh, it's definitely the uh, the friends that you suddenly realise that you're talking about all the things you used to do and there's nothing new mm. to that. Mm. Um, there is a moment in the film which is uh, completely uh, confronting, which is the fact that um, uh, the second version of Raya is, because she's so disconnected from these memories that she has and she knows that she hasn't built them, mm. uh, she commits suicide. <laughs> and then she comes back to life. Awful. Did that scene remind you of any particular director that we may have covered really <laughs> closely recently? I thought it was very David Lynch. <laughs> right, of course. The way she yeah, was all yeah, moving yeah, yeah. backwards and it was all... It felt really Lynchian. Stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and just also the existential horror of that. Like, could there be any fate worse than uh, coming back to life after you've killed yourself? Oh, my <laughs> Lord. Like, it's terrifying. And they're, and they're all watching it as well. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, God. And they're all watching it with that kind of, like, passive science eye. Yeah. You're like, oh, I guess this is the thing that's happening now, rather than like just like, taking in the full horror of how it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Viola Davis's character is scared that, you know, she doesn't want Raya to go back because she's scared what happens if the world starts being populated. She's by correct. Memories, yeah. She's 100, but she's, yeah. she's the most rational person in this entire film. Yeah. Yeah, and Kelvin is uh, driven mad by his grief and guilt over his real wife dying. And, um, when Dr. Gordon tells him that she has created a machine that can destroy the manifestations, Kelvin is against it. So he tries to stay awake taking stimulus to, uh, so he won't abandon... So this time he won't abandon his wife to suicide. Mm. Eventually falls asleep and Raya goes to Gordon to use the machine on her. And <laughs> it's like, once again, I just keep thinking about this trailer and I'm like... No wonder people were turning up going, oh, this will be a nice, frothy, romantic <laughs> comedy. I wonder if there'll be a scene where someone says, I'll have what she's having. Well, maybe not. <laughs> it's fucking dark. Yeah, it really is, right? Like, there's so much. Yeah. But it's deep and it's, and I say that not in a condescending way, but there's there's a lot to sink your teeth yeah, into and discuss. But well, you know, it's a movie about emotions and it's, yeah. it's you know, about being human and... Um, again, like it, it really was kind of. I mean, obviously, again, they're very different movies, but it was reminding me a lot of The Fountain, yeah. In that it's you know, um, it's about what it's about, but it's about so much more, yeah. Like there's so much more going on about yeah. the human experience than just what the story is kind of flagging, yeah. Well, I think that's part of why I enjoyed it so much more this time around mm. because it's uh, it feels like I'm trained more 
to appreciate all the different levels of what's going yeah. on in this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely. think Clooney's performance is magnificent as well. He's great. Um, He's great. You know, it's... Uh, uh, he looks so pained <laughs> through so much of it yeah 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 and 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 again just like uh drawing that kind of the the fountain comparison i think it's a, it's a similar performance to what hugh's doing in that movie in that yeah he's racked with the guilt and the grief about his wife but yeah. it's also him yeah like there's so much of you know his own existential fears and yeah. you know that, that that's that's driving this yeah you know is it, it there's that moment where it's clear that this is a terrible decision. Yeah. That this, whatever she is, entity. Yeah. Is in living hell. Yeah. Doesn't want to exist. Yeah. And he refuses to allow her to terminate herself. Yeah. Uh, and it's not for her well-being. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he's not doing it for yeah, for anything other than his own selfish need to fix the mistakes of the past. Yeah. You know, so what is the motivation here? Is it is it love? I don't know. It's like when they're talking about what are you going to do when you go back with her? Like, what are you going to sell everyone? Hmm. Oh, yeah. Here's my dead wife. It's crazy. There's another one floating around the planet in a space pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, that, that they bring that up with him at one yeah. point. You know, this other one's ditched out. And like, you know, it's it, there's not even a second thought to that. It's, it's really uh, nothing he's doing is for anyone's benefit but his own. Yeah. Uh, like he know, really goes mad, I think. Yeah, he goes yeah. insane. Yeah, you just know. like everyone else on that. Like Viola Davis is angry. Yeah. So you know, and uh, well, there's probably um, probably uh, a good time to get into the character of Snow, who I've kept until <laughs> this point, and uh, uh, little tweaked out fucker. It's so <laughs> I. I really like Jeremy Davies and uh, I, I I can see where that performance is so mannered that people would hate it. Yeah. But I really like it. No, I liked I, it. I think it's pitch perfect. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you know when you discover that he's a manifestation, um, mm. is he a manifestation? Ma- so, he's a twin. Right? Is yeah. that yeah? And and, yeah. and then he came to and the and the original Snow went what and attacked him and the <laughs> yeah. manifestation killed him and now he's just sitting in that room uh, yeah 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 trying to figure shit out trying to figure shit out <laughs> like I love it yeah 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 well you know I I, 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 I like I I wasn't put off by how mad the performance was but even if you are I think once you find out what's actually going on yeah and you realise that it's this you know, however many days old manifestation that's yeah. kind of, you know, trying to figure out who and what it is. Because, you know, like if Raya was saying, I've got all these memories and I don't know how I've made them. Like, well, obviously this version of Snow has had the same thing and he's just quietly going insane, yeah. trying to connect. And he's he's like, I, like I know he killed his brother, but he he's kind of tragic. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. But, I mean, that's part of the tragedy. Yeah. That, you know, within minutes of, you know, whatever, coming into existence, yeah. he's committed this horrific sin of killing his brother. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's got The brother who there. manifested him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's horrible. So, yeah. you know, he's dealing with all of that as well. Yeah. It's, uh, so, how how tweaked out and mad the performance is uh, in light of that, it completely yeah. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, um... And the way he just kind of says, uh, you know, that machine that you invented that uh, 
destroyed the other manifestation, has really used up a lot of the power, and Solaris has increased its mass and is drawing us in. And he's just like... I'm just going to sit here. If I were you, I'd just lock me in here and get out of here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It is so haunting and it's great. And so there's that um, part of my reasoning that Solaris is trying to know itself through them is why it increases its mass to draw them in to, you know, connect even more so. Sure. Um, So they have to uh, escape. And they jump into a pod and they make their escape. Uh, uh, Gordon and Kelvin make their escape back to Earth. And uh, they leave poor Manifestation Snow to go down with the ship. Back home, Kelvin struggles to return to his normal life, haunted by the idea he remembered his dead wife incorrectly. Mm. Like, that's a... Yeah. Like, right at the end, that, that's a fascinating question as well. Yeah. Because as, as she keeps pointing out, this... I'm not even really her. This is how you remember me. You remember me with the floor of suicide. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's something I've struggled with a bit. Uh, you know, when people go, oh, they, they'll never die as long as they live on in our memory. And it's like, uh, they're dead. <laughs> like yeah. The memory is not who they were. Like well, I can't even remember the voice of my fucking grandparents anymore. Right. I can't remember what they, you know, I, right. occasionally I'll get a, like a, you know, it's like a, a, a faint smell on the air kind of thing. You know, yeah. like you get a kind of a wisp of it, but I can't, you know, they're, they're gone. Well, and it's it's funny it's because, you know, now that we know that memory isn't yeah. photographic, it is a recreation every time. And that's every time you recreate it just fades more and more. And that's why. So what's the specificity that you remember of your grandparents? Because I'm the same as you. I can't remember my grandfather's voice, but I can remember his yellow fingers from smoking. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, there, there, there is, uh, there, there's this, yeah, there is specificity. The, the, the texture of my grandma's hands. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I remember their essence. I remember, you know, like the memories are all beautiful memories. And yeah. They, and they definitely have profound influence and I, and I, and I cherish them. But I'm also very aware that these are just creations of my brain. Yeah. And, you know, how much of what I'm remembering is actually the way it was versus how I would like it to be yep. or the best bits. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of kind of cutting and pasting that goes on. Just That's just what memory is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, all of that is to say that I was particularly uh, uh, <laughs> haunted or uh, emotional with that notion yeah of you know the, the 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 manifestation saying you know i'm not even real i'm a i'm i'm your memory of yeah and, and the memory is a flawed memory yeah uh and i think you know it, it, it's not so disturbing when i talk about someone people like my grandparents because you know that was all good right but you know you you got to wonder what happens when someone who you have maybe a fractured relationship with passes yeah you know, and then you're remembering them a decade later, like, you know, like are you accentuating the bad bits or yeah. and forgetting the good, Yeah, you know, what what's left of that person? Well, you know, when one of the things that I had to really get my head around, it took me a long time, it was a, a dear friend of mine uh, died a long time ago now, and uh, because it was such a shock and she was only 31, mm. you know, it was... Uh, 
uh, one of the things that I had to make a choice on was I always used to post something on the anniversary on her birthday. I think was it her birthday or anniversary of her death, something like that. And uh, I used to post something all the time. And then I realized that after a while, even though the intention was good, it was reinforcing the tragedy of her. Mm. And I mm. needed to remember her in, the, you know, the, the full way, which yeah. was, you know, heaps of fun, uh, you know, really in-depth conversations, mm. you know, as a good friend, you know. So, mm. I had to remember that. Mm. So, I had, so, I had to stop doing that. Yeah. To, yeah, because I was reinforcing the wrong part. It's the it's the reason I can't go to you know my my mum goes to my grandparents' grave quite a lot. It's right. like, I don't I don't I don't like why why yeah like maybe that's maybe that's maybe that's some kind of coldness coming through. But it's just like it was nearly twenty years ago. I just like dying was one thing they did. Yeah, it was just one thing they did. Yeah, they did heaps of shit. Yeah, and I understand the. The probably not just human need, but you know, higher mammalian need to return to the remains of a loved one and pay tribute, and you know, elephants do it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not denying that there's some kind of primal need there, but I I don't feel anything when I go there. Yeah. It's just that's just like it's just a stone, and yeah, you know, like when people say, "Oh, they're down there." No, they're not. No, their bones are down there. Yeah. But, but like if them. that's if all they were were their bones, that's pretty fucking depressing, man. Like yeah. they, you know, yeah. What whatever they were left the day they died, right? What they really were, yeah. What you cherish, what yeah. you, what what means something, yeah. Like it's it's like the, it's like a zakata shell down there. Like what yeah. is it even fucking? What is it? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I, I think remembering people in your own way. Is probably the more profound thing, you right? Know? And celebrating their lives in your own yeah. memory, in your own, uh, there's a profundity to it that's maybe I don't know, less kind of performative or staid or yeah. something, you know, prescriptive. Yeah, and yeah, uh, and it's important to engage with that memory, like I said, and make sure that it doesn't just end on the. the yeah, of course, yeah, 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 and that, I mean that's something that I've said to people a lot. Uh, that's something I said to my mum a lot, you know, where, you know, it's like, don't just focus on the death. Yeah. You know, it's not to say that it's not sad and tragic and upsetting and all the rest, but if that's all you remember, yeah, my God, like that's, yeah. that's like what a, what a, what a, what a tragedy to their memory. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. And, and that's kind of what this uh, movie, part of what it's sort of saying yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, Back on Earth, we see uh, Kelvin uh, cutting food again. He cuts his finger and his finger immediately heals. And we realise that he never returned to Earth. He stayed on the ship. And as it plummeted towards Solaris, Jabarian's son appears and offers his hand in assistance. It looks like uh, Michelangelo's, the creation of mm, Adam. Mm. And, uh, you know, the once again, getting back to my theory on what... Solaris is doing mm. because that's a manifestation. Mm. Uh, I think the boy is reaching out to Kelvin. Is Solaris reaching out? Yeah. And in the end, I think I think Kelvin dies, but now Solaris dreams of the life of Kelvin and Raya, and through that, this peaceful place finds a new understanding of itself. That was my. That's, that's where I landed. Beautiful, because I didn't see it that way, and I much prefer the way you see yeah, it. Yeah, how did you see it? Well, I just I saw it as like kind of like quite a sad depressing ending where it's like he's just surrendering to living in 
a false memory for the sake of that he can't face his grief and emotions. Right. And instead of, you know, kind of, uh, you know, powering through and becoming a more evolved person. Yeah. He, uh, which I guess, you know, if he, if he stays, he stay, that, that kind of is still true. He stays yes. on the ship. Yeah, he stays uh, on the ship. Yeah. So there is that, there is that there. But no, I much prefer that ending. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's, so I, I think both are true. Yeah. I, I think he gives in. Yeah. And then Solaris, you know, because as, as the, this manifestation of Raya, like how many manifestations have there been by this <laughs> yeah, stage, yeah, yeah. is saying, you know, we're beyond the concepts of life and death. That's and, right. And you so, don't have to worry about that anymore, she says. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, because I was thinking about the original Solaris and it, it, there's, there's a real, it doesn't end as beautifully. It's almost like he's trapped on an island in the yeah. middle of the, you know, it's like, and I don't know that he's dead. I think he's, he seems trapped. Yes, yes. But I think you're right. I think he's dead. Yeah, yeah. I think he's dead, and that's you know that's yeah. the you know the memories and the thoughts and the kind of working through itself, yeah, yeah. and it all gets back to me. The, the The reason I got to that point was that that debate about God and yeah. the statistical uh, possibility that it would happen and blah blah yeah, blah. So that's, that's beautiful. That's where I came to. That's what I mean. I uh, I didn't feel that way when I first saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but, beautiful. But through all these movies that we've watched and discussed, mm, mm. you suddenly start seeing extra levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck, I wish we were friends with Steven Soderbergh and George <laughs> Clooney and they were here with us and we could say, these are our thoughts. I who, really- <laughs> who, are the, who are the top directors that we've discussed? Uh, or, or not even the top directors, but which directors are you? would you love to discuss and say, hey, these are, these are our thoughts on your movie? <laughs> I tell you, I, it's it's the movie we haven't talked about yet. I would, I really would love to talk about the fountain. Oh yeah, yeah. I would yeah. love to talk about it, yeah. and because uh, I think there is so much, and I think uh, similar to Solaris, I think everything that we've watched, I think would really add a new dimension to yeah. that movie. Yeah, uh, and I let's think do that, it before the end of the year. I would love to, man. Yeah. I think that, and I think that's, and that's a movie that I would love to convince other people to watch a lot. Yes, and I think it's. Uh, I know I've talked about it a lot in terms of its thematic resonance to this. And probably people don't know what I'm talking about because it's one of those great unseen yeah. gems. But I, I think, think it's we're a- like one of the three people that saw it. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that that's a movie I have a lot of thoughts on. Yeah. Uh, and I would love to if I ever if I ever saw Hugh Jackman or Aronofsky on the street, I would uh, I wouldn't even say anything. I'd just go, "Thank you, thanks for the fountain." Yep. That's so funny. What's uh, what's that um, Scorsese fu- film, Melandra, is it? Or, you know, that really obscure Scorsese film. And um, it's it's one of the um, it's one of the great scenes in. Um, what's it about? Uh, hang on. Let me let me find it because it's it's such a funny light. So in the um, in. The Sopranos. There is, uh, you know, like they're, you know, they're all mafioso guys, yeah, and yeah, they yeah. all fucking love uh, good fellas. Yeah, they all. Well, they all love Scorsese, and they, the young guy Christopher, sees Scorsese, and he yells <laughs> out, um, "I really love Condon." Like <laughs> Condon, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the Dalai Lama. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so uh, that that would be, you know, that's our equivalent. <laughs> Hey, Soderbergh, Solaris is a fucking masterpiece, mate. He'd probably love it. Yeah, he might be. You he would, because he'd get all these dudes kind of going, Ocean's Eleven, man. Yeah. I'm not shitting on that, but, yeah. you know, I think uh, I think when it, when a movie is this kind of 
personal. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine that he hasn't poured a lot of his own perspective into this. It's, yeah. Of course it is. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, to have something resonate that's so personal with an audience would yeah. be profound for an artist. Yeah. Um, I mean, Hugh Jackman still to this day says that The Fountain's the best film he ever did. Oh, yeah. It's fascinating. He knows isn't it? it. He knows it. I um I saw uh, I read an interview with Brad Pitt who talked about the best like when people talk about the, you know the best films he's made it's for him it's the assassination of Jesse, Jesse James, James which great movie which was once again seen by five people fucking and great bombed movie. but he is he's right he's right yeah no they you know and and it it, it gives you a, a a brief insight into how deep these people actually are you know I yeah. I think every, I mean everyone loves. Someone like Hugh Jackman, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, it's easy to just go, yeah, Wolverine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, segment who and how. Which character do you think you would be and how would you react in their place? Viola Davis. Oh, you'd be Viola Davis, <laughs> be furious. I reckon I'd be the dead snow. Just <laughs> And I would just keep bleeding up in the, in the rafters. <laughs> I'd, I'd be exactly like him. Um, segment zero, charisma. Oh. Um... I actually think Zero Charisma for me is the uh, is the the doctor that summons them to the oh right Shabarian uh, Shabarian yeah. like there was there was something in he was he was almost like uh, cut price Stellan Skarsgård <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny yeah I, I was just telling you beforehand that I just watched. Um, uh, Melancholia yeah. and uh, loved it. Yeah. And Stellan Skarsgård was so good. He's in it. so good. Man. He's so good. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. It reminded me of like we can't get Stellan. We'll get this dude. That's fine. Uh, and there was like I, I enjoyed the some of the uh, ideas that were coming across in that uh, God versus no God debate, but yeah. it also kind of reeked a bit of the acting reeked a bit of like philosophy one hundred and one kind of like yeah right you know like whoa these are my thoughts on the credit okay. right right. Um, I was going to say the little boy. I thought that little boy could have fucking done something interesting rather than just run around. Just say something. Just ask for a sandwich, you piece of shit. Um, so, segment better or worse. So, I really love this film, right? And we'll talk more about the failure of the film at the box office in the squid bits. But I'm, I don't think you should do this. But could you possibly make this film a slightly bigger hit if you add a little bit of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind slash Inception, like, you know, just with the, the dreamscapes, try mm. to give the film a little bit of action. Mm. I, I no. personally wouldn't, but no, I, I no. kind of thought you Solaris probing the mind and Kelvin trying to hide his thoughts or find his deeper thoughts for his wife, uh, you know. I think I, I I like it as an idea. I think it would make it a fundamentally very different movie. I think so too. Think uh, th- that was kind of this was more of a writing exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I also thought you could maybe make it darker. He just keeps jettisoning her out into space <laughs> until he can remember her right. Um, That's great. <laughs> it's like fucking hell. Let's double down. There's like at the end of the film, the, the way the film ends is you see. 237 probes just floating bum, around Solaris bum, 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 bum. <laughs> and they're all just looking at each other, bumping into each other. Um, if I wanted to ruin the movie, I'd add a lovable robot who makes jokes all the way through the film and then in the end says, if only I could dream, then someone would come for me. <laughs> uh, oh. Oh, oh, little sparky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got some shit now. Oh, like short that. circuit. Uh, 
segment, where are we now? So how uh, this is uh, your segment that yeah. you inspired. How close are we to the technology in the film? So this was a tricky one, but yes. uh, in the movie they have Gordon talk about a device that emits Higgs bosons. This is an elementary subatomic particle whose existence was predicted in 1964 by Peter Higgs and five other physicists. The particle wasn't actually observed until 2012, and in 2013, Mr. Higgs and one of his colleagues were awarded the Nobel Prize for their theoretical work. The Higgs boson, or the God particle as it was nicknamed, was detected at the Large Hadron Collider, which is the most powerful particle accelerator on the planet. If computers once filled rooms and can now fit in our pocket, then who is to say that the apparatus that's on that ship wouldn't be able to fit in a spaceship? I think this might be the first time where, where are we now? We're actually ahead of it. Yeah, absolutely. That, uh, the, the Higgs boson, the, the um, Large Hadron Collider and CERN, that's the source of a lot of conspiracy theories these days. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. A lot of the uh, a lot of the anti-vax people are uh, convinced that there's some nefarious shit going on there. Oh, right. Well, there was, you know, uh, so do you remember like back when conspiracy theories were fun, were fun and cool yeah. until fucking anti-vaxxers ruined everything, you pieces of shit? Don't... Like, hey, so if you want to bring back anti- polio, fucking fine, but don't ruin my ability to enjoy an old episode of The X-Files. You know, it's, I, I don't even know if it's the anti-vaxxers. I think it's the. I think it's it's more QAnon yes. than the anti-vaxxers. Well, the, 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 I mean, it's. I mean, mm, the Venn diagram. It's, it is a Venn diagram, but yeah, QAnon took it to a whole new level. Yeah. Uh, so you, my my favorite theory on that was you remember they just there were things that just kept going wrong when they were setting it up. And CERN. Yeah, yeah. and it was. Uh, you know, and there was like random things. I, I can't quite remember this because it was a while ago, but it was just like a bird got in there yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. threw it out. And it's like, you know, the, the idea of it's it's such a bad idea that time keeps correcting itself. And, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just keeps going clonk. Like, you know, you couldn't go back and kill your great, like the gun would jam. Yeah. You can't kill your grandfather. Yeah, of you course. Know, that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or it's people from the future coming in going, fuck, just drop a spanner in there. Like, turn it off. Don't turn that on. Yeah. <laughs> For a while, they were convinced. Uh, so people were convinced that it could uh, tear open a black hole. Black hole. Yeah. Scary shit. Yeah. Yeah. But it was fine. They just discovered a new subatomic particle. Yeah. It, it was never going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, segment sum it up. What does this movie mean to you? Uh, <clears throat> I think it's a uh, beautiful meditation on uh, grief and regret. And uh, the dangers of not squaring yourself with the past. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. That's a that's a really good summation. Uh, I've also added it's a smart cerebral movie full of integrity, and it is because of this that I understand why it wasn't a hit. Yeah, of course, <laughs> it's a bit lost to time as well. Yeah. Like it's just it's not splashy. It tells its story in a really compact way. Yeah. Like so much happens in yeah. a very short amount of time yeah. without ever losing that beautiful pace mm-hmm. and I reckon uh, this is one of those movies where it's like oh this is like this is vaulted right up mm. into the upper echelon yep. and uh, definitely I've been on a bit of a Clooney role recently uh, I rewatched Michael Clayton for never seen it time. it is I know I've heard great really things. good he's there's some there's some great Clooney good films night good there. luck you should watch that good night and good luck so, I saw that film, mm. I saw a preview of it mm. at uh, Nova Cinema mm. with uh, with Adam Richard, actually. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you get to the end of the film and David Strathern was there. 
was coming out to do a little chat afterwards. And then who knows why this happened? Like, you know, you paid good money for it. Uh, You know, the big speech at the end. One of the great speeches of old I used to, I transcribed that speech the first time I right. uh, saw it well this is going to blow amazing your mind speech on this night the sound drops out oh god and to be honest you're sitting there going oh right this speech is it's so big you we're not going to hear it you know what I mean? Like, that's what you're sitting there thinking. Oh, this is a bold choice. You've been working towards this speech. Yeah. And it's so big that yeah. words, like hearing it, is going to do it a disservice. Yeah, yeah, so they've yeah. decided you're just going to see him give it. And then and then you're like, but surely there would be something on the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This doesn't seem just right. Like, there would silence. be a... Yeah. And then... Right at the end of the film, it was, and then it was, it was almost like it wasn't this, but it was a little bit like silence. And then it was like, and that's why I called the speech good night and good luck. Uh, the end. And it was like, everyone was just like, what the fuck happened? So then Strathern comes in with the host and that, and they have this beautiful chat, and he's so charming and he's so charismatic. And then they say, oh, uh, any questions? And <laughs> someone in the audience says, um, what did you say at the end? And everyone laughs really hard, like because it's a collective yeah. laugh. And Strathern and that are like going, "What? What just happened?" And, and someone explains to them what happens. He did well, the speech. He did the speech. Holy fuck, that's so cool. He did the speech in the cinema, wow. and it is if something is going to fuck up, like you've wow. now given me a moment. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I love that speech. Yeah, and the fact that he remembered it. And that, just did it. It's one like, of he didn't prof- even warm up and did not, like, did not miss a beat. Mm. It's one of the most prophetic things that I've ever. Heard. I mean, God, the, when, when did that movie come out? Two thousand six, two thousand seven, yeah, two thousand seven. I remember watching yeah. it at the time, going, "Holy fuck!" They knew everything back, you know, yeah. when this thing first was invented. Yeah. And my God, it must be a thousand times more applicable now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some squid bits for you. Uh, not a lot on this film, but sure. uh, James Cameron spent close to five years trying to secure the rights for Solaris from author Stanislaw Lem and Russian film studio Mozfilm. Mm-hmm. So they collectively own the rights to Andrei Tarkovsky's 1972 film. Uh, but due to all his 90s commitments, he couldn't direct it. Cameron said... What I would have done would have been more like The Abyss, where visual set pieces might have gotten in the way of what is a clean line as a relationship film. Soderbergh's not interested in the hardware of the visual effects very much, which is good. Oh, good on you, Cameron. Yeah. Uh, Originally, Daniel Day-Lewis was intended to play the lead, but was busy making Martin Scorsese's Gangs of New York. I can see Daniel Day-Lewis in it. Yeah, he should have done his OL. I'm glad Clooney's in it, but Gangs of New York. You know, that is... His performance is outstanding, but that movie ain't good. I have to be honest. I got 10 minutes into that film and I was like, I'm not in the mood for this. It's not a good movie. And I haven't gone back to it. No. Um, You've never seen it? No. No. Okay. I don't know what it is. It just never quite appealed. It has aged real bad. There's some camera techniques in it that have really aged terribly. I mean, again, he's incredible. Yeah. He's always incredible. Yeah. But yeah, it's not a great movie. Yeah. Uh, Clooney and Soderbergh had their company Section 8 Productions and when Clooney read the script, he sent Soderbergh a letter saying he was ready to step into the role. Uh, he's a he's a prolific letter writer. Oh, really? Uh, uh, that's always been something that I'm like... I like the idea of being a letter yeah, writer sure. and just posting a letter to a friend and, yeah. you know, you having taken the time to 
right by hand. It feels like a nice thing to it do. It really is. I remember hearing about Groucho Marx being a prolific letter Oh, uh, Have you writer. ever read the Groucho letters? I've read some of them. Yeah, oh, man. They're great. The, the letters to Jerry Lewis about breaking up with Dean Martin is... Like, they're beautiful, oh, right? Okay. And, you know, the back and forth of him trying to talk them out of it. But then also, have you read the letter to Warner Brothers who no. were trying to sue them for being, uh, not let them use, uh, that they were going to do it one night in Casablanca and they right. didn't want them to use Casablanca because they had their film and he sends this <laughs> fucking withering letter about, I'm not even sure that you're the original brothers. There were the, we were brothers before you. <laughs> there were the brothers Karamazov, you know, and it's just this literal beautiful uh, like one of the best comedy pieces you'll awesome. ever read yeah. so uh the sex scenes in this film uh were done on a closed set with only Clooney, McElhone and Soderbergh literally only Soderbergh he filmed all those scenes with a handheld camera yeah and he was also the film's cinematographer and editor both credited under pseudonyms right now do you know why that is like why they why would he do that under a pseudonym? Why wouldn't he just... Is that something to do with the unions or... I don't know. Why maybe, is that? Maybe it's him just kind of uh, not wanting to suck up all the oxygen and have people be distracted by like... Ooh. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's... Uh, I meant to look that up before, but uh, I've always been a bit confused by that. So the movie had poor box office uh, receipts making roughly $30 million against a $47 million budget. Soderbergh said the marketing campaign was a challenge and Clooney stated that the film's trailers and commercials had nothing to do with the film, depicting more of a science fiction love story or thriller. And uh, looking at the trailer, they are correct. Mm. Uh, The author of the book, Stanislaw Lem, never saw the film but criticised where he heard they took the story. He didn't like the film focusing on the relationship between the two main characters and reducing the vast and alien ocean to a mere mirror of humanity. Mm. He also said... To my best knowledge, the book was not dedicated to erotic problems of people in outer space. As Solaris author, I shall allow myself to repeat that I only wanted to create a vision of a human encounter with something that certainly exists in a mighty manner, in, in a manner perhaps, but cannot be reduced to concepts, ideas, or images. This is why the book was entitled Solaris and not Love in Outer Space. <laughs> <laughs> Good burns. Good burn, Stanislaw. Oh, he's great. Uh, the movie was originally given an R rating because of Clooney's bare bum. Oh, for fuck. Americans are so stupid. They're so stupid. And Soderbergh appealed the decision and it was uh, granted a PG-13 rating. <sighs> uh, Shooting someone in the head, fine. Bum, bum, bad. Okay. Yeah. Good. Uh, Ulrich Tuker, the person that you decided had zero charisma, his audition tape for Jabarian had his dog listening intently to him as he spoke his lines. <laughs> <laughs> He's gone up in my estimation. Yeah, I thought that might uh, help uh, win you over. Uh, Jabarian's line, there are no answers, only choices, echoes Nietzsche's quote, there are no facts, only interpretations. Mm. Uh, he, uh, Nietzsche, of course, also believed that we are predetermined to repeat the past, so that makes sense. Uh, this version of the film is an hour shorter than the 1972 Russian <laughs> Film. Yes, it is. And finally, it received an F cinema score from audiences in 2002. Well. What do you reckon it would get now? Like, it, it might not be... I reckon it would, if this was released now as, like, yeah. say, whatever, like, uh, uh, as an A24 movie... Yes. I think it would get glowing reviews. Yeah, yeah. If it was just released as one of those, you know, mid-budget, you know, indie films... Yeah. 
I think people would love it. Yeah. I think the the the, the audiences have uh, opened themselves up to this. It, you know, it would never be a blockbuster. No, no. But it would have it would have a small following of people that love it. Yeah. Uh, I don't like to read reviews out, uh, especially of Roger Ebert, because there is a high profile movie podcast that does that. But um, when I was just, because I was curious to see how it was accepted. And uh, Ebert said, uh, at a time when many American movies pump up every fugitive emotion into a clanging assault on the audience, Soderbergh's Solaris is quiet and introspective. There are some shocks and surprises, but this is not alien. It is a workshop for a discussion of human identity. It considers not only how we relate to others, but how we relate to our idea of others, so that a completely phony, non-human replica of a dead wife can inspire the same feelings that the wife herself once did. That is a peculiarity of humans. We feel the same emotions for our ideas as we do for the real world, which is why we can cry while reading a book or fall in love with movie stars. Our idea of humanity bewitches us while humanity itself stays safely sealed away into its billions of separate containers or people. When I saw Tarkovsky's original film, I felt absorbed in it as if I, as if it were a sponge. It was slow, mysterious, confusing, and I have never forgotten it. Soderbergh's version is more clean and spare, more easily readable, but it pays full attention to the ideas and it doesn't compromise. Tarkovsky was a genius, but one who demanded great patience from his audience as he ponderously marched towards his goals. The Soderbergh version is like the same story, free from the weight of Tarkovsky's solemnity, and it evokes one of the rarest of movie emotions ironic regret and I oh, thought, good job roger yeah 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 so that's great as i said i don't like to step on other people's uh places but i read that and i was like no that's outstanding nah, that i'm not always a fan of uh roger but when he gets it right he fucking gets it right yeah 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 absolutely well that was a good one right good one good, good suggestion one. i wouldn't have rewatched that had you not suggested it oh good yeah it's kind of it was one of those ones that was like oh yeah i've, uh, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. ticked that off the list yeah yeah no need to revisit no, it was uh, it was good, and uh, you know, good to see uh, George just be fucking <laughs> so great. I love him so much. <laughs> Thank you to Ben for his insights into this movie. And a big thank you to Salicia for being our Patreon supporter for the episode. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and possibly enjoy the film as well. Uh, remember, if you'd like to join the Big Squid community, head to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton underscore Big Squid and you will find a tier that suits you. That is patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton underscore Big Squid. Also, my solo show, Little Victories, will be appearing in Sydney on the 28th of October and Comedy Republic on the 26th of November. Uh, remember to use the Big Squid promo podcast to get a cheaper ticket. I'd love you to come along if you're in either city. And uh, once again, you can find details at bigsquidpod.com along with blogs, short stories and all manner of extra entertainment. If you haven't had time yet, please check out my dear friend Anna Lindner's show, A Beginner's Guide to Grief on the SBS platform before it ends this week. It really is wonderful and all six eps go barely longer than an hour. I think you'll love it. And I'm just so impressed with what she's done. So if you can check it out, please do so. Uh, I will be back next week with more Chitter Chatter and podcasts. But as you know, we normally finish with a quote from someone. But today I thought we'd do something a little different and 
appropriate considering the movie we just watched. Uh, Today we're going to finish with Dylan Thomas' poem, And Death Shall Have No Dominion. And death shall have no dominion. Dead men naked, they shall be one with the man and the wind and the west moon. When their bones are picked clean and the clean bones gone, they shall have stars at elbow and foot. Though they go mad, they shall be sane. Though they sink through the sea, they shall rise again. Though lovers be lost, love shall not, and death shall have no dominion. And death shall have no dominion. Under the windings of the sea, their lying long shall not die windily. Twisting on racks when sinews give way, strapped to a wheel, yet they shall not break. Faith in their hands shall snap in two, and the unicorn evils run them through. Split all ends up, they shan't crack, and death shall have no dominion. And death shall have no dominion, no more gulls cry at their ears, or waves break loud on the seashores. Where blue a flower, may a flower no more lift its head to the blows of the rain. Though they be mad and dead as nails, heads of the characters hammer through daisies. Break in the sun till the sun breaks down, and death shall have no dominion. Until then. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.